Leaving Erinsborough, the Neighbours Rewatch podcast from the very beginning. I'm Sarah Gibbs, you know who I am by now, so I'm not going to give you a lengthy introduction anymore because I'm tired and who cares. <laughs> this is... Rachel Krieger. I wasn't sure that's what you wanted me to do, but I felt like you were queuing <laughs> me in. Hello, I was, yes. am a, a comedian and writer and a Neighbours Watcher. Sometimes I feel like Neighbours Superfan, but in this crop of episodes, I feel like Neighbours Watcher would be a better <laughs> definition. Neighbours Endurer. <laughs> That's how I feel this block of episodes. Na- neighbours, Neighbours Sufferer. I've been suffering from uh, bout of the Neighbours. <sighs> I think we should get an award just for having to watch Scott. <laughs> yeah. We should get Tom's Medal for Bravery. Mm. We have yet to discuss uh, with you all, but uh, Tom's Medal for Bravery will be discussed shortly. It will. Okay, so I warned Rachel before we started recording, but my notes this week are all over the place. I have chronic migraines. It's been a very, very migrainey week, like kind of week where some weeks medication works better than others. And this week it has not been working very well and I haven't been sleeping very well. Very boring. No one wants to hear about my ailments. But um, if this is all over the place, that is why I apologise. So I'll be jumping around a lot. There'll be a lot of looking for stuff which john will probably have to edit out sorry john and we're just going to get through it the best we can so and i told sarah my notes are very similar and i don't know if that's the vibe of these episodes that put us in this position but also uh we had a bit of a family drama and it left me very exhausted this is in real life not on neighbors left me very exhausted so when i watch them i tend to watch it all in one go because i find that easier than you're in that headspace um, but yeah. I did fall asleep a minimum of three times at different points and I um, rewound as far as I could work out where I'd got up to but it's possible that I've slept through bits of storyline so if Sarah says something and I go what when did that happen that's why I literally fell asleep <laughs> but um, you know 10 episodes it's a lot to watch in one go but here we are it is I- yeah my attention span waned to make to make me pay more attention I worked out how to cast it from my phone onto our telly. So I was watching it in big. But because nice. a lot of the episodes I'm watching um, have been recorded, I'm going to say in like an unofficial capacity by the person who's put them out there, the quality of the, of the filming is not always um, crystal clear. I'm just being very very tactful because I appreciate being able to watch it at all. And when you make it bigger than on your phone or even on your laptop, then it's very fuzzy. And I think that did help with the snoozing. Yeah. Fremantle, Amazon, release the back catalogue. Release it all. Why not? We are going to get into trouble soon because there is going to be a dearth of episodes at some point. And I don't know what we're going to do then. So let's worry about that in uh, 2027 or whatever when we get to it. Well, it's not that far off. I don't want to have to skip like a year or two. Like, come on, help us out. I'll have to try help and a fan community what out from the original time of watching it. But I, okay. We'll have to get the neighbors on. Yeah. Let's get them. We will. We will. I keep saying to them that that we need to get them on, and I keep not making a date. So there are. Yes, we we will. Neighbors, if you're listening, uh, we're coming for you. Anyway. <laughs> Let's start with the teen gang are on this trip to the beach, capital T, capital B, um, <laughs> for for diving into the sea. Apparently, I don't understand what's happening. Um, 
Scott and Mike having said how important diving was not one week before, so important, in fact, that Mike needed Nikki to do his homework for him, yeah. is now so distracted by sexy Cassie that he's forgotten about diving entirely. But anyway, we'll get we'll get to that. But first, we start with Mike finding out that did I say Scott? I meant Mike. I don't care. They're the same. They're the same guy at this point. Oh, Mike. <laughs> Mike finds out that Cassie does nude modeling and is outraged. No woman of his is who he slept with once and met two days ago is going to show her body to other men. And at first, Scott is the voice of feminism in the situation like hey it's a job like any other job yeah don't remember um, Daphne used to be a stripper and that's fine because it's just a job yeah. and it is yeah I mean we do Sarah and myself I speak for us both we do believe it is just a job and that's um, yeah. fine but um in this bit what I actually really enjoyed was the photographer's sub story as to how he ends up becoming a photographer of nude models. Um, you know, like, I'm just an amazing photographer and I started off and I was doing this, but like, it didn't work out and people didn't appreciate my art. You know, it's like this whole look, we don't care about you. You're in it for 10 seconds. You're not a photographer. Um, but I did think he's got out of everybody who's ever been on Able so far, I think the most comprehensive backstory. Yeah, like, yeah I used to take these, here, look back at my artistic shots. Um, it, I just thought that was so random. Like they had to suddenly justify him as a, an existing character by, or rather a character that was existing in that moment by giving him like a really 360 degree Dolby stereo Technicolor backstory. <laughs> and now he just photographs beautiful young women and he can, you know, share their beauty with the world. And like he's, it's not a charity. No, <laughs> the frustrated ass- artist who found his salvation in tits. <laughs> That's exactly it. But yeah, the photographer's sob story, I think, is, I'm not joking, one of my favourite things that's happened in Neighbours up to this point uh, from w- the beginning. I just thought it was <laughs> it was so out there. It is, I know we're years away from it, but Bouncer's Dream, you know, being a bizarre and surprising twist, um, this is the precursor to that for me. Yeah, bouncer's wet dream. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> the photog- I'm so sorry, everyone. It's a photographer's dream, but I, you know, you <laughs> they are by the beach. Uh, dampness is expected. Uh, and bouncer is a name that could apply to a little. You know what? I'm just going to stop. I'm going to stop. I'm so so sorry. Cara is now I eleven years old. I don't know what's happened. Disgusting. Um, I am a disgusting little trash panda. I apologize. But what, anyway, what, can I say something else that was very interesting to me? Is that well? They started talking about how um, uh, how Daphne used to be a stripper, and that's all fine. And then Cassie, when she next turns up, she's kind of dressed as Daphne. She's got really similar hair; like her hair's been <laughs> done in like tall flicks, and she's wearing a boxy jacket and big earrings. And I feel like she's, you know, I don't want to get all Freudian here, but Daphne has been like Mike's salvation. And now he's got this new girlfriend he's met for two seconds, but everything about her is really important. And um, she represents Daphne quite a lot. So what is that all about? The mother he didn't have, uh, the mother his father wished for, I don't know. But there's a there's a Freudian vibe to me about the Cassie-Daphne. Um, similar lines of work, arguably. <laughs> similar 
clothing and vibe. Um, and Cassie's absolute neediness because of whatever, you know, being uh, rejected in the past. And, you know, Daphne's also come through rejection. I just think there's like a weird someone on that writing team did psychology A-level. If there are any therapists out there, if you could enlighten us as to what's going on here, please don't. Yeah. It, it sounds awful. <laughs> well, you know what? We got rid of Maria. I really love my sons. And now we've yes. got um, Everybody Loves Daphne. We've one Oedipal complex at a time, please, folks. <laughs> also, I thought it was really interesting that when um, Cassie was trying to sort of justify to Mike that what she does is very empowering and she's in control and she's proud of her body and why not? Um, she showed him Playboy and he gave very little reaction. This is, by the way, when I'm still awake because this is only the first episode. <laughs> um, so I paid a lot more attention. But, you know, I was just thinking about how old are they meant to be? Like 17 or something like that, 17, yeah. 18. And it, I mean, I can't imagine a straight young man who shows no reaction at all to his girlfriend's picture in Playboy or even having his girlfriend say, here, have a look at this Playboy. Like, I mean, I'm not a boy. So I can't speak from my personal experience, but Playboy's a thing, isn't it? I guess he had like the live show the night before. So it was nothing revolutionary for him. He's like, yeah, that's that's just a, a still shot of like, I've had the real thing. I don't know if that's true for boys. Cause Is it not? Not, not teenage boys. Teenage boys. We can both ask our husbands later. But uh, I think teenage boys would be interested in a Playboy magazine being handed to them, regardless of whatever else they might have going on. Because otherwise, yeah, grown-up men would buy it. If you're a straight man listening to this, uh, and you can shed any light on this, again, please don't. <laughs> we, we don't want to know. We don't want to know your disgusting thoughts I know, about like, Playboy. In, in that period of history of the 80s, as I recall, hearing disgust um that boys used to leave playboy magazines in bushes for other boys to find as like a treat that's really weird i mean i know because you're younger so i thought you know there might be not a thing you've heard of but no we just had the internet yeah there wasn't the internet <laughs> so what you had was you had certain notorious bushes around around your town um, and hedges where people knew that's where that's where the exchange could be made, like like in spy language. That's where the owls fly south at midnight. Um, so well, anyway, this, this is an unusual discussion. But, um, I just think that um, Mike was very blasé about this magazine, and I would think that he would have at least some feelings. Yeah, this was Mike's coming of age. <laughs> I really am. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Okay, let's move along. Um, move along from Cassie, from Mike, uh, Cassie, and temporarily feminist Scott. Well, <laughs> temporarily feminist Scott talks Mike around, and Mike's like, "Yeah, it is empowering. Go you, I guess." And then Cassie welcomes them into her home because they get kicked out of the diving competition yeah. for not showing up, and their responses. No, oh, that's so up. unfair. Scott, Scott did show up, didn't he? I thought it was did only he... Mike who didn't go. Did did he show up? Yeah, or was he with Lenny? I yeah, I think he showed up and then he came back. I might be wrong because again, I was drowsy. But as far as yeah. I remember, he went and he said, oh, "I'll try and cover for you and whatever." But um, I do feel like 
what you said earlier is so true. They made such a massive fuss about how important this was. And then the minute there are other options, they kind of sack it off. I don't, yeah. It's Anyway, whatever. They don't want futures. No, so Cassie welcomes them all into her home. They they live with Cassie now. They're all looking for jobs. And Cassie tells Charlene how pretty she is, even though Charlene's been really hostile to her for no reason other than she's an attractive woman who Charlene instantly dislikes. I yeah. guess because she's not Nikki. I don't know. Anyway. She didn't used to um, like Nikki either. Maybe she just takes a while to warm to people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh it's it's bad. So she she um I've I've lost my train of thought. Oh yeah. So she she welcomes them into their home. She gets Charlene a, uh, an appointment with this photographer. Now, here is where Cassie loses me just a little bit, okay? Because if you are going to set someone up on a job like nude modeling, you yeah. should probably explicitly say this is a nude job. Do you consent to this activity? Yeah. Cuz even in the 80s, not everybody did nude modeling. No. I thought to, not to tell her and then also to leave the flat. Like she didn't stick around for the modelling sesh. Um, no. Maybe that's her way of punishing Lenny. Maybe. I felt like she, I felt like she was trying to be nice and she's so immersed in that world that it didn't occur to her. But then Mike had reacted so badly that I don't see how that could be the case. Mm. Alternatively, it could be that she assumed that Mike told her because he made such a big deal of it, or Scott, or someone. But also, they might have just assumed that, okay, you do new modelling, but if someone, but Lenny, who has never done any kind of modelling before, maybe she would just be doing normal pictures. And I, well, nor, yeah. nor, I don't mean normal in a, in a pejorative way. I mean ordinary pictures as opposed to naked ones. Sure. So Charlene's very uncomfortable with the situation, which is understandable. Mm. And then Scott finds out and all hell breaks loose. There's a lot less, oh, Daphne did it and it's fine. And a lot more, no bird of mine's going to show her wings to other people. <laughs> wings, <laughs> her feathers. Um, exactly. He's, he's disgusting and he's slut shaming both of them into oblivion and then Charlene joins in and the two of them together are fucking insufferable disgusting all of them disgusting awful and quite Just... right for Cassie to chuck them out she should have yeah they shouldn't have been there in the first place really but yeah yeah i'm i'm team cassie for that yep and also Charlene finds time in there somewhere to be terrible to Madge on the phone when Fred lets her down again. Oh, what do you do to him this time? Like Charlene is doing my fucking head in. Yeah, I've just and those earrings and those earrings. Why is she so attached to those disgusting earrings? They really weighing down her head. I did think it was, um, <laughs> it was interesting. And um, again, you know, sometimes you look at something and you think, oh, I can just hear the conversation that happened in the planning meeting for that. Um, mm -hmm. and the way that Charlene had like no makeup on when, um, when she came out in her towel and everything and looked all like she looked about 11 and then Cassie was all like caked in makeup and 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 then they have this discussion about her doing modeling you know you could just imagine them saying there'd be an amazing juxtaposition wouldn't there if one of them yeah. was in makeup and the other one wasn't and they looked younger and older but um then the sort of the way that they behave towards her, it's really grim. She's let them stay in her flat. You can say to her, yeah, it's not for me. 
I don't know. I just wrote. Don't bring letters. Charlene down to your level. Yeah. Well, I just wrote a big letter. Scott is vile about eight times. So yeah. that's uh, that was my main take home. Absolutely. The two of them together, just a supernova of terrible. I hate them both. Yes. Um, and she is so I don't mean understand. to her mum unnecessarily. Yeah. Unless something changes, like I do not understand this like golden couple. Everyone loved them. They revived the show. I, I cannot stand them. Mm. <laughs> I, I know that's going to get me kicked out of the Neighbours fandom. Does oh. it get better, Neighbours, like, long-term viewers? Please tell me it gets better because I'm, I'm not coping with these two. I mean, mm, they, get, they get a bit better. He doesn't lose the whiny voice. Oh. But um, I, think, I think them wanting to get married... Spoiler alert, but I mean, it was like 1987 or something. If you don't know, you probably shouldn't be listening to this. Um, I think people just, I think we just sort of warmed to them as kids who wanted to be together because he became a little bit less pervy. I don't remember. Right. We'll find out. Awesome. Okay. Well, anyway, they have to sleep on the beach because they've got no money and nowhere to go. And Charlene's being stubborn about going home because her mum won't get back together with her emotionally abusive dad. And then she has to go home because she's got no money. And they Um, go absolutely feral and they're like sitting on the beach, just making fires and running through the streets in the dark. Um, (laughs) But I think it's interesting because they have this fight and she shouts, I'm better off without you anyway. And I thought to myself, well, never has a truer word been spoken in like any of the episodes in the first 290 something episodes. I wish Charlie meant it and stuck to it. Yes, sadly not. Uh, anyway, they go back, which is good because Mike wasn't even going to go back for Daphne's wedding after everything she's yeah, done for him. So he was going to hang around for a girl. So mm. anyway, um, they come back. Uh, we'll we'll get to them and when the wedding happens. But basically, they get grounded. I, Charlene changes ground. her earrings finally. Yeah. I I. They 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 defy their grounding. I don't care. Yeah. It's it's all stupid. Um, shall we move on to Jean and Tom? Uh, we can certainly do move on to Jean and Tom. Okay, um, so we'll we'll get up to up to a point with Jean and Tom, and then we'll pick it up after the wedding. Okay. So so Jean and Tom have this attraction, but Jean is married to a paraplegic. Dun dun dun. What are they allowed to have love to? No, they are not allowed to have love. Any love that a disabled person receives in the Neighbours universe in 1986 is a horrific sacrifice on the part of the non-disabled person who loves them. This is and the Jojo Moyes episode. Yeah, this this whole thing made me fucking scream at the TV. Tom's heart, Jean's attitude is fine. Mm. Jean is just like, no, I straightforwardly love him. Okay, first of all, first of all, why is this man in a regular hospital? Why isn't he in like <laughs> some sort of assisted living facility? Why is he in a hospital bed like he got injured yesterday? Well, why do they do everything at um, you know, the hospital in Erinsborough? Like whatever you need is done in that one hospital. It makes no sense. He would be in some sort of specialist. Like assisted living facility, surely, or at home with adaptations, but no. Yeah, um, surely he would. He would have some sort of a wheelchair. He wouldn't just be in bed the whole time. Right. Well, he might have then, because you know they didn't have 
Good Maybe. I mean, even so, yeah, it seems unlikely to be in bed the whole time. But but then she only visits him almost every day. So perhaps on the days that she's not there, he gets taken for like a, a runabout in a wheelchair. Maybe. I don't know. The whole it's so bizarre. It's like the whole thing. She, her attitude is, no, he's my husband. I love him. I made vows and sickness and health. I don't intend on breaking those vows. Please stop yeah. hassling me. Please, please stop trying to tempt me out of my marriage. And Tom's like, no, no, no. You don't have a husband. What, um, who who said this? Was it that the husband said this in a self-pitying way, which is understandable if you, you know, and I think it, it's more legitimate for the husband to say something down on himself mm. because that's what society's been telling him and for someone else to go no 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 of course not because you haven't got a man you've got a memory yeah when, i thought that was very so, sad yeah which i think is a horrible thing but it's people like tom who are fucking making him feel like that so she yeah. first of all she brings her kind of boyfriend to meet him which is really insensitive he immediately is like who is this guy oh yeah. i knew this would happen you you like him thought, and um, then i think her, um i think she thought well maybe because they were both in the nam they be have stuff in common and they could chat and bond and then he could be cemented more as a a friend like if if she friend zoned him by him seeing her with mm. her husband is it jeff the husband i don't remember um then um he, why don't you remember sarah was he just the same person in the bed seemed to yeah that's how they portrayed him i thought maybe she thought this was a way of kind of friend zoning the situation <laughs> that was my take and i have to say the way i thought it was gonna go was that um the husband said that thing about it's just a memory would say something like you know, I still love you. I can't give you what you need. This is what I thought this, the show was going to say. I can't give you what yeah. you need. Um, I'd love it that you, if you still could come and um, visit me and we could still be, you know, close and still be friends. But if you want to pursue a physical relationship with somebody else who you can go out and about with, then I get it. Um, that was what I thought the direction was going to go in. But maybe yeah. they didn't really, I mean, they didn't really have time for it to get to that point, did it? No. So no. Reasons. Yeah, for reasons. And then Jean's like, she, she puts down really firm boundaries with Tom and he like starts trying to kiss her neck. It's so creepy. In public. And he's like, yeah, and he's like, you've done your time, basically. Yeah. You've, you've, you've done really well for 15 years. Now give it, come on, give it up. Like no one could possibly love a disabled person. You deserve it is your own life. fucking grim. And when I yeah. say your own life, I mean the life that I think you should have, not the one you've actually chosen. Yeah. I hate everything about it, um, but we'll come back to it after the wedding. So so the wedding happens, um, well, it nearly doesn't happen because, first of all, there's a Bucks night. and Before Daphne... the Bucks night, you have Paul and Des eating really weird sandwiches. I know I could have left <laughs> this to the end, but they're both eating like, I don't know what you call them, multi-layer sandwiches. Des is just like bigger than his head. It's so much. I've never seen, I just honestly, they were like Scooby snacks, massive sandwiches, but Clive's clearly, they've had a sandwich chat with Clive, they're all around, around Clive's, and Clive's eating like a normal sandwich, and then Paul's eating, they're like the three bears, that one's got a, not a small sandwich, one's got a medium sandwich, one's got a massive sandwich, I don't know, and how do they eat them in suits, like if I was wearing any proper clothing, like anything other than pyjamas, I'd be wearing that sandwich in about two Yeah, seconds. you need a bib for a sandwich that size. 
Anyway, I didn't hear much of their conversation because I was watching the sandwiches. <laughs> the sandwiches were probably more interesting than what they were saying. They want a Bucks party. Daphne says no. Uh, now, in any other situation, I think this was very controlling and inappropriate and a red flag. But these are the trash men of Erinsborough. And Daphne does know what goes on at these Bucks parties yeah. from her previous job. And also, also, Des did already stand her up at the altar once. So and he's I understand. To get married to numerous other people. Yeah, I understand why she's like, no, I'm keeping Des in the silo. I'm keeping Des in, <laughs> I'm, I'm cryogenically freezing Des until the day of the wedding. Uh, I'm electronically tagging Des until I get him down the aisle. I get it, yeah. but it, she, she takes it quite far. She, Helen is like, look, just trust, trust the men. Um, they don't mess up this time, even though every time they do anything, whatever it might be, they mess up really badly. Yeah, trust these particular men. She listens to Helen, and the next day, Des shows up with seemingly, spoiler alert, with a broken arm, Mm. which the lollage Daphne of plastering (laughs) Des. He did get Which... blasted in the end at his Bucks night. So Daphne reacts like a normal person and drags him into the car, phoning some sort of... I, I don't know if we're supposed to know who this guy is because he's referred to by his full name <laughs> as if we're supposed to know who he is. And Zoe knows his phone number off by heart yeah, as well. Because he's the emergency minister. Don't you have an yeah. emergency minister for if you need a sudden wedding? On speed dial, she she knows that number. She didn't look it up. She's like, yep, I'm, I'm right on it. Uh, but like, also, she's Daphne. the maid of honour, so, you know, she'll have had all that information in her pack. I guess uh, I, I'll let it slide. So Daphne drags Des. Is this the first glimpse of the rotunda, the last is rotunda, or is this somewhere else? Oh, I don't know anything about that at all. Maybe. It's a rotunda. She drags Des to a rotunda saying, we're getting married right now. There will be no wedding. Um, This is your punishment for breaking your arm. The boys find out what's happening. They're like, oh, no, it's only a gag broken arm. And uh, they rush to stop the ceremony just in the nick of time, just in time to expose Des for faking his injury because every time someone touches it, he's like, ow. Mm. but he's fucking fine. And they do like uh, a slapstick of when he moves around and you have to duck under his arm. And <laughs> It's very good, though. Mm. Uh, Des does slapstick very well. Mm. I do enjoy that. Harry is back. Oh, I, just, I hate Harry so much. Harry, and... who we still don't know if he's actually related in any biological way to Daphne. No. Because she was Something... never clear. Like, he just turned up saying he was her grandfather, if you might remember. Originally. Yeah. And there's never been any evidence. Like, he's never mentioned her mother or her father's name or anything. Like, as if he knows them. But anyway, that's it. Do you know what? It's nice to have a grandparent, whoever they are. Sure. He shows up. He he has potato peelers or something. He he for some reason he this makes him need to date Mrs. Mangle. I don't understand. I don't care. Well, yeah. No, he's he wasn't interesting. In this. No. Um. So the wedding finally goes ahead, and Daphne shows up in what looks like a 
Halloween costume of a wedding dress. Right. The the clothing for this, I mean, it was of its time. I feel like mm-hmm. I should maybe share a picture of my very early 90s wedding dress. Yes, please. Um, So we can put that in our socials. But um, it was it was of its time. But the, it was more the dresses around it that I took issue with. The bridesmaids' dresses, which were just revolting. And Zoe in what appeared to be a child's holy communion dress. Yeah, completely. And um and Lucy in one that had about twenty seven layers of lining to the point that she had to hoist them up while she was being dragged away from patting a horse. Um but um also the ugliest wedding cake anyone's ever had, which Madge was so clever to have made, this absolutely hideous wedding cake. But it was the dress that I really caught my eye was Helen's. Um, oh yeah the Victorian like. well I'll tell you what it looked like to me and this is such a really specific and probably quite niche reference that I don't know how many of you this would even register with but um, very ultra orthodox Jewish women sometimes sell dresses from home for other very ultra orthodox Jewish women <laughs> to wear for their child's bar mitzvah or their niece's wedding or to be the mother of the bride or whatever it might be or for a special synagogue service something like that and Helen was absolutely wearing one of these dresses like it was very sneers which means modest you couldn't see any of her collarbones or her wrists or her her ankles and um it didn't it didn't cling to her figure and it was made of a fabric that looked a little bit tablecloth-y and all in all, I thought she would not stand out at a Golders Green Jewish event. No, she wouldn't. Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, that's not even the worst costume choice in this block of episodes, but I, I, we'll, we will get, we'll save that one up. Um, yeah, the, the, anyway, it's the 80s. Let's, let's forgive them, I guess. Um, the wedding happens, it all goes fine. Um, well, it goes it fine, but they schlep out the ceremony, like uh, plinky plonky music and hearing mm. every word of all their vows. I didn't need that. No. Um, no, we didn't. Uh, oh, there's some guy called Tony um, who's shown up oh, yeah. with a very upper crust British accent, a very, like, very put on kind of hoity-toity British accent. Uh, yeah. Who Zoe's he's ex. some ex of Zoe's? I guess he's her exit storyline. Uh, that's that's what I think is happening. Um, again, it's not interesting in any way, shape, or form. Uh, Clive's family shows up at, at, for some. I, honestly, I was looking at my phone and missed what happened and didn't know who these, those people were. Um, but Clive's brother and his wife and child yep. show up thoroughly um, uninteresting in every possible way yep um okay so we get through the wedding we get through the reception and then tom brings Jean as, as his date it's kind of like a last hurrah goodbye yeah. date for the two of them mm-hmm. and he takes Jean aside to his house and he tells do. her he loves her well, After on. one date. They love each other because one date and also two business lessons. Come on. <laughs> a neighbour's um, chronology is amazing. They don't have kids now. Yeah. And then he gives her a fucking 
actual, honest <laughs> to God, medal for bravery for loving her disabled husband. I wrote Jesus the medal. <laughs> That's what I wrote there. At this point, I screamed into a pillow. Now, I'm not. I'm not physically disabled. I do have lots of chronic illnesses. I am neurologically disabled. I need a lot of help and care with all my comorbid conditions. My husband does a lot for me. And we get a lot of comments like, oh, wow, you're so brave. That's so you're such a wonderful, angelic human being. And like, don't get me wrong. He absolutely is wonderful. And I appreciate everything he does for me. But if someone gave my husband a fucking medal for loving me and looking after me, I would punch that dick head out. Like, <laughs> fucking, how dare you? How dare you? You presumptuous. Oh, man. May he, like, honestly, like, I hope he never has i don't know like it, it is a fascinating thing because um <sighs> disability is one of the things that can happen to anybody anyone at any age yeah. and uh regular listeners to the show will know i too experience many neurological challenges and have a husband who does lots of things to support that and i support him in many other ways as you support your husband in many other ways that's two-way streets of being married to people yeah i cheer him on while he does the dishes <laughs> um i do the cooking i'm right does the dishes um but um i can't remember if i've spoken about this on the pod before and if i have please just you know you can skip the next minute but once um, I did a post on Facebook for um, Mental Health Awareness Week and I talked about how um, my physical challenges and how they impacted on my mental health and whatever and because I think it's important to normalise these things because they are in fact normal and um, someone commented on it about um you know my you know how well I do and how well I manage given everything and you know I still manage to achieve things and it sort of was in a less patronizing way than I've just described it and one of my husband's very old friends said and also we can't forget about the carers they also need they should also be celebrated on days like this and in these posts and then added my husband Oh, my God. Like, as in, three cheers for Mark, who puts up with this decrepit, broken person. And I'm sure it wasn't meant in that sort of antagonistic way. I'm sure it was just meant to be like, oh, she mentioned in passing that her husband's very supportive. Be nice to, like, cheer him on a little bit, as as you say, like, doing the dishes, because he's a person too. But that's, first of all, my post was about me. But second of all, and I don't begrudge, by the way, People appreciated Mark. I appreciate him as well. But it was that was his medal. That was his, you know. Don't forget the carers at Mark Krieger. Um, yeah, it's the assumption that loving a disabled person is in some way a massive sacrifice. Yeah, you don't know anything about the relationship between that husband and wife. Mm -hmm. You don't know anything about what she gets from him. She has repeatedly said how much she loves him, how much she loves his company, how much she's always loved him and still loves him. It's none of Tom's Tom's business. business. Disabled people do not have to prove their worth to you to, you know, she doesn't, she shouldn't have to demonstrate why she loves her husband to him for him to back the fuck off. He doesn't know anything about their relationship Mm -hmm. or 
why she stays in it or what it's it's completely none of his business the same way that she could be with an able-bodied person and be in an unhappy marriage and that's you know or or a happy marriage it's none of his business to, to start casting judgments on the quality of her relationship on the basis of her husband's disability anyway i had to calm down <laughs> mm. yeah no i no i agree with you so much and I, I yeah um they should be allowed to have their relationship and if they don't want to have their relationship that should be really Correct. up to them and not up to anybody else um especially not um tom and his yeah. weird yeah well, look what you could have won um I forgot to say, by the way, earlier, there is a moment, and I just want to mention this uh, for the Claffney fans out there, there is a moment where Zoe asks if Clive is in love with Daphne, and he's like, yeah, obviously, everyone is. Claffney lives. Everyone is, 100%. It reminds me of (laughs) when I was growing up, um, and when I was like a teenager, in fact, at this real point in history, um, if anyone can remember that far back, there was a girl in my circle of friends that all the boys were in love with at some point or another. Honestly, like, um, and that would include um, every boy I know from our group of friends at yeah. some point. It's like a transition in life to go through that stage of being in love with her. I'm still friends with her now, um, and she's lovely. And she didn't do anything to encourage or discourage it other than just being, like, fairly attractive, lovely person. So... Yeah, it, there are those people that everyone has their. Uh, I think Clive you know, and Daphne is the formest, pure, purest form, the formest pure of love. Let's try that again. I think Clive and Daphne is the purest form of love in the show because Clive is in love with Daphne, but he does everything to make her happy. Mm. He knows she wants Des, so he does everything to set them up. He knows she wants the wedding, so he does everything to make the wedding yeah. happen. He will do anything to make her happy without wanting anything in return because mm. he genuinely loves her. That's real love. Anyway. Uh, back to Jean and Tom. Tom reiterates that he loves her for some reason, tucks her off in a car with Shane, who's driving her home. And then as they're driving, they have the most comically inefficient... It's, this is not a fatal car wreck, it, in my opinion. It should not... It, it doesn't... Well, how? I mean, it's before the time of many safety sure. features in cars that we have now so if you bang your head in a i mean i think the idea was okay. she banged her head in a certain way right because that was what the bleeding from the ear represented bleeding from the ear okay. on screen okay well and whatever dead. jean's dead that took a turn <laughs> in the car accident yeah they have they're wandering along having an incredibly dull conversation She's fiddling around with the medal, which has got lots of pointy corners. Um, and then uh, the tyre blows. They swerve into a car. Um, Shane seems absolutely <laughs> fine, other than he still has a mullet. And um, Jean, Jean's bleeding from the ear, so we all know that she's a goner. And then there's about, I know, a month and a half of him just standing by the car being sad about yeah, it. Oh, well, calling an ambulance she's dead. Just letting her... Yeah. <laughs> letting her be dead until some random guy pulls up behind says oh no what a terrible thing to happen don't worry um before an ambulance gets mentioned yeah. we'll just have a chat about other stuff and uh, i'll go and get you a sip of uh what look we all thought was tea from the from his flask <laughs> that he naturally kept in the front seat of his car 
um, and it transpired okay, so was this guy alcohol. shows up out of nowhere. First of all, says what happened? Where like we're looking at an obvious car crash. What do you? What the fuck do you think happened, mate? Car crash. So, then basically <laughs> forces this alcohol down Shane's neck, like all but gets a funnel out and starts forcing it down his neck. Then it's like, don't worry, mate. <laughs> like before the police arrive, I'm gonna get you wasted. And then I'm going to disappear. Shane's anonymous booze fairy disappears into the day because it's not even nighttime, never to be seen again. And Uh Well, ostensibly he went to call the ambulance and an ambulance does come. So presumably he did do that. But also they're right next to houses. Why didn't one of them just go into one of the houses? Like it happens in a residential street. Just go into the house. You're right outside and say, please, can I use your phone? I don't know if you heard the massive crashing sound, but I appear to have had some kind of an incident and there's a woman (laughs) bleeding from the ear. So you know what that means. But no one goes, he he goes, he drives around the block to use a payphone. But at that point in time, people had phones in their houses. They also had indoor toilets. Everything about this is so stupid and contrived just to make it clear that Shane is drunk. Overcomplicated. But not but that he wasn't drunk before, but that he's drunk now and there's gonna be this miscarriage of justice. I hate storylines where people are wrongfully accused of something and then can't clear their name. It's it's so like I get really stressed watching them. And then they tell Tom, Tom's like, You killed her mm. and then five minutes later it's like, actually no, you didn't. It's all right. Um Charlene says, don't take it so hard, Shane. Yeah, it's only a death of yeah, someone you were driving so when you're a driver for your oh, living. Danny's gone. Danny got poochied out of the show. Just vague mention of going to live in the country. They sent Danny off to live oh. on a farm, I think. Um, <laughs> he's going to be running around. He'll have plenty of fresh air. Um, don't worry about it. Danny's gone. I mean, I wrote, and this is going to be one of my things for later, Danny is back because I was excited when he walked through the door, but he only came back to be told he was leaving. He was transfer. Do you know what made me laugh is um, when Danny came back because the storyline is that he's being transferred to the country and being sent to the like to live in the country yeah. is often a euphemism for your pets died. That's <laughs> what made me laugh. You know, oh, where's Shep? Oh, you know, Shep was very old, so we sent him to live on a farm in the country. You know, that's the vets put that dog to sleep 100%. So that's what I think is happening now to Danny is that they've run out of ways to kind of have him come in and out and not have any friends and not be part of anything. So they let him back in for two minutes to be told that he's gone for a drink with his mates because he's going (laughs) to live on a farm in the country. Um, And then he's uh, so he's suddenly got friends from work. He's suddenly hanging out again with um, Lenny and Scott and Mike because he's going to say goodbye, because he's going to live on a farm in the country. He just stays for the wedding, and then he goes immediately. No farewell party, no, you know, from his family. No one seems bothered. Off he pops. But he is, throughout this, wearing some kind of weird red sheriff's badge that I assume was like a... Medal for bravery. Danny present from his work. (laughs) Medal for bravery. He wears it all through the wedding Getting through that wedding and the terrible outfits. The terrible outfits. Oh, gosh. I mean, we haven't even discussed, by the way, <laughs> Lucy's gloves, WTF. Like, long black leather gloves or something she I, was wearing? What's I, that about? Uh, <laughs> this show, man. I, I, I don't even know. 
just rummaging through a child's dressing up box at this point. Just like, that'll do. Uh, we're on a budget. Right. I love this. Scott says to Danny, Scott says to Danny, um, we're going to really miss you around here. And I was like, we haven't missed him yeah. in the last three months where he's been invisible. And <laughs> you haven't mentioned him. How much do you miss him? Well, you're missing Danny's just been walking around the last room. Like, Am I dead? Why is no one acknowledging me? What's going on? Um, anyway, <laughs> the rest of Shane's storyline is like he meets a lawyer who's like, that sounds made up. Uh, okay, you find this anonymous booze fairy, and I'm sure we can clear your name. Um, and uh, he puts an ad in the paper to try and find this guy. I want to see what this ad says. Hi, were you a man with a <laughs> flask of alcohol in your front seat driving down a residential street only yesterday at two o'clock? Yeah, I, yeah if somebody could write this ad copy, I'd most appreciate it. I think it needs to be done. Um, meanwhile, yeah. Zoe so, and, yeah. not Zoe, the other one, Daphne, that's the one. Daphne and Des have gone on their honeymoon and they are getting ready for what? They're very much setting up to look like their first time together, but neither of them were virgins before, and they do live together. No. Oh, come on, Sarah. It means more. I I assume they've had sex with each other before. (laughs) Uh, You don't know that. No. If if not, then they still haven't consummated the marriage. But um, Des is busy throwing rose petals around and getting champagne and... Daphne is busy getting into the fugliest honeymoon nighty I have ever seen in my life. She comes out of that bathroom dressed as Ebenezer Scrooge. There is no excuse for this nighty. Daphne is a former sexy dancer with an extensive... We've seen her sewing those costumes. We have seen her extensive lycra yeah. collection. I mean, I was expecting... Feathers, sequins. This is the least sexy honeymoon nighty that I mean. It's if anything, it is a what do you call it? Like a <laughs> a drawbridge being pulled up, um, and uh, you know, with a crashing sound. I mean, it's like you yeah. know, like I said about Helen's dress. You know, Helen and her very modest dress. I mean, this is. I mean, this is what nuns wear yeah. who don't even feel like they're brides of Christ. This is a, this is a she very secure She pulls up her smock to reveal a hint of chastity belt. <laughs> it's a lot. Why? She <laughs> lives with Clive, who sells lingerie. Instead, she comes out dressed like a Victorian ghost child. And Des immediately... <laughs> I guess from the effort of trying to get a boner for this outfit, puts his back out. Oh, do they? Oh uh, no, like, they have a night together. This is I, the following I was hiding day. my eyes. Yeah, they have managed to. <laughs> they have managed to okay. do something con- consummatory because this is the next morning when he's arranged breakfast in bed for her, and um, right. you know she's sleeping it off, and he's kissing her neck. You know, I mean the the sort of nookie scenes between the two of them were quite a lot for tea time and lunch time yeah. in 1986 if you're going to do that, say. go the whole hog but, uh, and give her a nice yeah. nighty. I think, I'm just trying to remember what I actually said to you about the nighty. Um I said, oh, Des yeah. probably faked his back injury just to avoid having to see it again yeah, the doctor the comes this, this elderly man, he's like 
I guess he's the honeymoon doctor and he diagnoses Des with what sounds like he <laughs> thinks is a legitimate medical condition called honeymooners back, which very much reminds me of Grandpa <laughs> Simpson's list of yeah. ailments, you know, like <laughs> housemaid's knee, climactic <laughs> pupo, like it, it's, it sounds really, yeah. it's not a thing. And he's like, you yeah. either have to go to hospital, why? Or you have to drive home immediately. Also, why is that all he has to do is lie <laughs> on a flat surface, which he can do at the hotel. And then he's like, don't drive for more than an hour at a time. Take it really slow. Fine. But what is, how, what, is she meant to get no. Des out of the car every hour? We, yeah. Every hour, lie him flat on the motorway. Make this make sense. This is just an excuse to get them home early so Des can lie on the floor and Clive and his brother can have a poke at him and make jokes about how it's a sex injury. Right. Well, okay. that, I mean, you um, answered your own question there. Daphne turns into Des's mother, by the way, the second that ring is on her finger. She's like, here comes the aeroplane. He's like, yeah, what in the apple? And she's like, have the apple. Oh, it's all so horrible. Okay. I did right here. I fell asleep at this point. And then I woke up at some point afterwards and then I rewound it a bit, but so I may have missed things. But um, you've said she morphed into Desert's mother. I was yes. going to be raised here. Where was she? The fact that Eileen Where was she? is not at this wedding. You know, how she's, well, I mean, I imagine she's in her unit or, but you no, know, she's away with that geezer, but. She'd have come home for Desi's yeah, how dare they wedding to Daphne, wouldn't she? When, how is she not there? Why is she not there? And actually, when I remember I was watching this on a blurred uh, screen at the time, and also at the time probably then as well, but certainly yesterday, and also was quite dozy. But when the um, room service person knocked on the door, I was 100% sure it was going to be Eileen. Oh my God, that like, would have been amazing. Say, what was that? Your I can't believe you got married without me. Um, and both times that they had room service, because I mean, I personally have never had room service once in my whole life, but there's definitely have had it twice in one episode of Neighbours. Um, I was 100% sure it was going to be Eileen, and I'm I yeah. was astonished that it wasn't. Come on, Eileen! How dare they leave her out? Yeah. Come on, Eileen! <laughs> I know that's what you meant, and I didn't have to spell it out, but it, no, it's it wasn't law. possible for me to not sing it. They're home. Des is on his back. Uh, Clive's brother conveniently has been to a seminar on spine manipulation the day before um uh in the meantime this oh guy who has shown up out of nowhere for zoe wants to marry her and have her work for him because secretaries always marry their bosses i don't know um anyway it, it causes her to yeah and also tony proclaims about clive like he knows him he doesn't know him. He met him for two seconds in the cafe for about, you know, honestly. And then he's like, oh. No, that was Clive's know, brother. Typical Clive. Whatever. You don't know these. Are you sure? Because it, no, I, I Tony, thought it was Tony. Zoe. And then I was like, no, no, no. Clive's brother just looks exactly like Tony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was in yeah. the living room. Was it Desert Tony Daphne's. or was it? Because I was really confused. I was like, is this not? Just Clive's brother, and he just looks like Tony because he was talking like he was Clive's brother, and and Zoe was going, "Oh, he's a nice guy," and he was going, "Oh, but he's wasting his life," and I was like, "That doesn't sound like a thing that Tony would say." I'm gonna double check on so that. I, I they looked back. like the same guy to me. Anyway, I I don't care, but Tony will be gone soon. 
I'm going to immediately look, by the way, while we're having this conversation. Okay. Um, I, I'm going to put my phone on silent. Um, and I don't mind you listening in, people, to the search. So Sarah's going to keep talking, but I personally am going to explore um, who that was in episode 299 or 230. Okay, well, well, basically Zoe loses interest in her job because she has Tony now and she takes a long lunch after Paul tells her not to and Paul's butthurt because Paul's in love with Zoe and then he gets mad at her for taking a long lunch break when he told her not to and then he gets mad at her for leaving work on time when she said you do overtime and kind of this is all fair enough actually uh, for once on Team Paul here. He's generally a terrible boss but it is fair enough to if, expect somebody to work the hours that you're paying them to work and if they say they're going to work overtime to yeah, but there's a oh yeah, there's a subtext of him. I think he's been in love with Zoe. The whole love time. With Zoe. Yeah, like he's he's treated yeah. her like he's in love with like when she lost the baby and everything, and he was very upset about Zoe and Jim. I think that's been building for some time. I think he's just been repressing it, uh, not all that successfully, but like you know he hasn't been declaring it like the men of Erinsborough tend to after five minutes uh and Zoe rage quits her job because she's being asked to work and that's outrageous and then she hires Clive to write a withering put down for Paul which is very poetic and lovely and then Paul just walks off and then he confesses to Zoe his feelings for her and she's like well I banged your dad mate (laughs) no we can't uh, yeah, we can't do that this is not Erinsborough 20 years from now um and then she says that she has to leave because she banged his dad and she can't bang him and she takes tony up on his offer of a job not the proposal yeah, just yet but that's he's like why not why not marry him you've met him before that's an, that's enough of a reason How long do you need to know someone? The answer being not long. It pretty much fizzles out on Shane talking about his case this fortnight, and that's that's all that happens. It was quite fizzly. I would say that um, annoying me that Clive said to his brother um, that their daughter would get on really well with Lucy. No, that kid seemed about four. Seems to be the same age. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, yeah. Uh, that annoys me a lot, but as I say, that by this time I was. Yeah. Hopefully, Clyde is not a pediatrician. So, yeah. I specialise in in determining the age of children. Mm. <laughs> okay, right. We <laughs> now come to a section that we like to call Rachel's observations. Rachel. Rachel. Rachel's observations. When. Joan takes Tom to meet her husband. Um, they have a conversation with a nurse outside his door, and the three of them are in a wide corridor. And for some reason, in this conversation, they are so close, the three of them squashed together, that it's amazing that neither Joan <laughs> nor the nurse leave pregnant. They are so. I just didn't understand that as a kind of photographic concept. Why squish them together? Um, number two, by the way, we finally yeah, get rid of Deborah, horrible Deborah. Um, she's, she's found out in this ser- in this episode, and she's uh, got rid of in the f- one of the first yeah, of many of Paul's business manipulations. Um, yeah. And she also had like a sob story about, um, you know, well, 
Rosemary once bought a business and it yeah. annoyed my dad. It was his business or whatever. Um, it was incredibly uninteresting and certainly not worth the investment of hours and hours and hours that we've given to her storyline up to now. Um, next observation. In Cassie's flat, she seems to have a proper champagne bucket and set up like a, a whole <laughs> frame thing for the bucket to rest in and champagne. Why are they all drinking champagne? They're about 12. And when, you know, when I was 17 or 18, if I was drinking with my friends, um, which did happen on occasion, uh, you know, I can't pretend it didn't. We didn't have champagne. Even if we could have afforded it, we wouldn't have had it. That would, you wanted to get WKD like the Blue. cheapest vodka or, you know, alcohol. Exactly. I mean, the, there's two bits in these series, in these uh, group of episodes, two occasions where um, they're drinking champagne. Why? <laughs> it's not even French champagne. Do you know what I mean? Like the neighbor's obsession. Why are these kids drinking champagne? It's not fun for kids. If you're old enough to fight for your country and model for Playboy, you're old enough to drink champagne. Right. I completely agree, but it's ridiculous. Um, uh, when Mike is such a limp lettuce about everything, that drove me a bit mad. Um, when um, they were talking about Scott coming home and Helen says to him, I'm not angry, I'm just anxious. I was thinking, be angry. You can be angry. He's got chucked off the diving thing. He's run away. He's been sleeping on the beach. Um, his girlfriends went over and like that's caused a whole mess between your family and her family. Yeah. You're allowed to be angry. You're the nana. Be angry. Um, at the wedding, Zoe has five strands of fringe dangling at the front. Now, in general, Zoe is a just the middle yeah. bit of the fringe person. But really, for a wedding, she could have had her whole fringe down. I didn't really understand the five strands of fringe. No. You shouldn't be able to count uh, Charlene them. and Mike are both really adept at stealing food from the wedding. And I just thought that their uh, sleight of hands deserves a bit of recognition here in this moment. And by the way, it is indeed Tony who makes a joke about Mike. About Clive, sorry. About Clive. Well, what can I tell you? Yeah, he doesn't know him. Um, I have three more observations. Maybe four. Uh, one is that the wedding car, they've sprayed all over and, you know, decorated or whatever. But um, there's a heart on the wedding car. Uh, the heart is for Daff and Pez. Um, <laughs> definitely not a D. So, you know, Daff and Pez. Congratulations. Um, when Jean and uh, Tom, uh, sorry, Jean and Shane have the accident, they go to the trouble of having like lollygaggers by the time the police come. Sort of everyone's standing out looking at the site of the crash. You know, all the neighbours have come out. Why did none of them call the ambulance? Why did none of them call the ambulance? So annoying. Um, Harry, deeply inappropriate with Zoe. When yes. he's over to say that he's going to leave, he does like a kind of back tilt uh, ballroom Dips dot her. her. Yeah, dip thing. Um, like he's going to snog her face off. Gross. That's an example. Really gross. Yeah. Uh, but really, my last comment is that I feel that Des and Paul's sandwiches deserve a nomination for best supporting actors. <laughs> out of everything that happened, they were the things that uh, I enjoyed the most. That says it all, really, doesn't it? In a fortnight with a wedding and a death, what we enjoyed the most was the sandwiches. Yeah, it made me want to literally go and have a sandwich with many layers on it. Well, you can do that in a moment, but first we have to kick someone out of Erinsborough. So who are you going to boot? I'm going to get you if you don't leave Erinsborough now. I mean, the whole, all of them can go at the moment. 
really. Um, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna boot Clive's family, not Clive, yeah. his family. They bring nothing to the table. No, we barely talked about them because there's just nothing to say. No, they didn't add anything. They didn't come in an exciting storyline. You know, he's got a local job, so they're sticking around for a bit while they find somewhere else. And while that might be very true to life, I mean, give him a secret or uh, let them turn up unexpectedly or whatever, something. There's nothing. They bring nothing to the table, a, a table that is already very bare, apart from some room service breakfast and a horrible nighty. I'm kicking out Tom. How dare you give a medal to a woman for loving her disabled husband? You utter prick. And you couldn't even keep her alive for the one afternoon that you hung out with her, could you? No. You sent her off with your feckless nephew to get killed in the world's most avoidable car crash. I hate you. I hate you. I hate you in your wig. Enough. Okay. Get out. That's quite decisive, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Tom, I'd sort of warmed to him until this kind of obsession with ruining a mar- uh, like what seems to be a, a perfectly happy and stable marriage and then the medal of honour, for medal of the bravery of just loving your husband. Yeah. And that's all. We will see you next time. Hopefully it will be more interesting. Please tell me it gets more interesting because I am losing the will to <laughs> not live. That's a bit dramatic. Just the the, the will to live in Erinsborough. The world to live in Ezra, yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'll chuck myself out. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Leaving Erinsborough was hosted by Sarah Gibbs and Rachel Krieger. This episode was edited by John Gibbs. Our logo is by Hayley Charlesworth. Our theme song is mixed by Graham Rawson. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review wherever you get podcasts. Join us next time when we'll be covering episodes 301 to 310.